Thank you, Lord. Would you turn with me in the word? Now, let's don't just change gears and get intellectual at this juncture. Let's not get heady. Let's stay aware of the Holy Spirit through the next minutes and the next hour or hours. Or <laughs> whatever it takes, right? First John 4 and 1 Corinthians 13. Did you read your chapters this week? Your marriage reading assignment? You believe it's beneficial? You believe it? Yeah. You may not know exactly how to say, your hair looks like a flock of goats. (laughs) But, you know, when you learn more about it, you can see apparently some of the goat herds that were in that area were the goats that you got cashmere from jet black and when those goat herds would come down the side of the mount and the sun shone on them there's this brilliant silky black that flows down the side well that makes perfect sense then doesn't it so uh, the thing is you just have to read the word in faith don't you and believe it's good whether you see it or not it is it's good and I'm sure the Lord will help you to see Whatever examples and comparisons that work for you, you can incorporate those. But the idea, the concept is the same, no matter the generation or the geographic location. In 1 John, the fourth chapter, and the seventh verse, it said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Said out loud, love is of God. He goes on to say, everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. More than anything else, the indicator of a real Christian, the indicator of a person that really knows God, is love. More than anything else. He that loves is born of God, shows that you really have been born again. You really are a child of God. And what else? That you, you know God. More than anything else, this indicates who knows God and who doesn't. Did you know you can be born again but not know much about God? Amen. Just like a baby could have been born last week, but how much do they know about mom and daddy? Or even a one-year-old. They know more than they, when they were born, but how much do they know about what daddy and mama really like and what their preferences are and, and, and their ways. It takes years of being with someone and fellowshipping with them. And so even though you've been born again, that doesn't mean you have to fellowship with God very much. You can be so immersed in the world, never pray, never read the Bible, don't go to church. And you, it's possible to live for years and never really get to know God. So being born again and knowing God or knowing much about God is not the same thing. And if you read 1 John, you see he keeps talking about knowing God. He's not talking about somebody that's saved versus not saved. He's talking about saved people who don't know much about God. How can you tell somebody that does know something about God? This love will be evidenced in their life. Keep going. Verse 8. He that loves not, what? 
doesn't know God. Doesn't know him. The more you get to know about him, the more of this love you experience. I I know, uh, oh, this must have been 30 years ago now. I was in the floor one night praying. The Lord had, had awakened me to pray. And I went to the kitchen so I wouldn't disturb Phyllis. And I'm laying in the floor praying. I remember it distinctly. And as I'm praying, the Lord prompted me about a person that I knew, actually a lady that I knew, and to pray for her about some things. And so I'm praying about some things, and as I'm praying, I realized they're hurting, and they need help. And as I'm praying, the love of God came up in me for them, for her and her husband and their family. And I don't know how to describe it to you. If, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And anybody that's been born again has touched this love. Amen. Now, how far you've gone with God determines how much of it you've experienced. But I lay there and kind of rolled over on my side and tears came in my eyes. And I don't know how to describe it, except as I'm laying there, I, I got joy And I got tears at the same time. And I said this out loud without even thinking. I said, this is what I want to live in forever. Is this love. This love. Because what am I experiencing? He's letting me experience another measure of his love for them. And so I'm experiencing him. Because this is what he is. This is who he is. And how much of this you know is how much of God you know. Keep reading. He that loves not, what? Doesn't know him. Doesn't know God. Even if you've been born again. You can be born again and still be very ignorant of who God is and what he is. Be full of religion instead of love. Tradition instead of love. For God is love. Say it out loud. God God is is love. love. Didn't you say has love? God is love. What is he? Didn't say he is power. Didn't say he is knowledge. (laughs) But it said he is love. Say it again. God Is love. Now keep reading. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. Did we need help? Oh yeah. What could help us? There was nothing in the universe that could help us. There was nothing valuable enough to redeem by human souls, silver and gold, there's not enough of it in the universe. There was one thing precious enough, valuable enough to buy us back. It was and is the precious blood of the Lamb of God because the life is in the blood. That's what we needed was life, eternal life. And the Zoe, eternal life of God Almighty is in the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And God our Father was willing to send him and he was willing to come 
and pay it. And buy us. That's love. Somebody say that's love. That's love. Never question God's love for you. It's so insulting. He's got nothing to prove to you. He's already done it. How many know it's ignorant and disrespectful to look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, do you really love me? To look at him at the whipping post and say, God, I, don't, I just don't feel like you love me. That's ignorant. And it's very disrespectful. God's got nothing to prove to us. He's demonstrated. Is that what this is? He's manifested his love toward us. He did it. He sent him for us. While we were his enemies, he loved us and bought us and paid for us. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Verse 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Keep reading. Beloved, if God so loved us, how should we respond? You might say, well, God, what can I ever do to pay you back? You can't pay him back. Don't try. But what you can do and what does please him is that since he loved you like this, you turn around and love other people like this. That's what he wants you to do and me to do. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Keep going. No man has seen God at any time. A human being in this mortal condition can't see him and live. Now you think about how great a continue to live as a mortal. We'll put it like that. Think about how great he is. That you can't even look at him. You can't handle looking at him in your current condition. Well, you think, what kind of being must God be to create the heavens, the stars, the solar systems, the planets, and to keep them all Moving and empowered. What kind of power does it take to keep all those stars burning? And one of these days, you and I, either out of the body or in our glorified body, are going to be able to look at him straight on and take it all in. (laughs) Because we will be the glorified ones. You looking forward to that? You know what else I'm looking forward to? The Bible said God sings. Do you know that? He sings. God the Father sings. Can you imagine? No, you can't. (laughs) We're around the throne. Not just me and you and Branson Church and, and all the churches in the U.S. The millions of redeemed. You talk about a big church crowd. (laughs) Millions and millions of us around the throne. And all at once the angels say, shh, shh, shh. The Father's going to sing. Say what? The Father. The creator of the universe. The Almighty. You reckon he could hit some notes? (laughs) How many would like a CD of God's favorites? I imagine one of the reasons why we can't get one is because we couldn't stand to hear it. It'd just be talking about being blown away. 
you can't see him, then it'd be reasonable that you couldn't hear it all either. But anyway, the way we're to respond is by loving one another. God dwells in us. Say it out loud. God God. dwells in me. And his love is perfected in me. Do you really have God in you? Is that is it God in you? And God is love. Keep going. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Keep going. We've seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in God. Do you say it out loud, everybody? Would you lift up a hand right now and say, I confess. confess. Jesus Jesus is is the Son of God God. and my Lord and and Savior. Savior. If you really mean that, if you really believe that, what does the next part say? God dwells in you. God lives in me. He doesn't just visit. Dwell means you you stay there. That's where you reside. We've known and believed the love that God has to us. And it takes faith to believe this. To believe that God loves me even as he loves Jesus, the perfect Holy One. It takes faith to receive that. You can't just reason it out. You just have to quit trying to figure it out and just say, well, if he said it, I believe it. Does God love you, saint? How much does he love you? (laughs) Do you accept that? Do Do you receive that and believe that love that God has for you? He says it again. God is love. Say it again three times. God is Love. If the Bible keeps repeating something, must it be important? Should you keep repeating it? Why? Because it's not just about logging the information in your mind. You got to get it in your spirit and get the revelation of it in your spirit. How could you tell you're getting the revelation of it? You'll get excited. The light of it will enlighten you and it will quicken you. It'll quicken you. Like a zap. How many would take a zap? Would you take a zap from the Holy Spirit? Say it out loud, then I'll take a zap. (laughs) That's what quicken means. Quicken. It's life. God is love. He that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. So uh, back up. Say it out loud. I live in God. God lives in me. I dwell in love. I live in love. Love lives in me. Keep going, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Well, now, I think sometimes people have pulled this out of its context. What is he? He's love. And so as he is, so are we in this world. Well, what is he? He's love. So what are we? Love. Say it out loud. I am, I am love, love in this world. In this world. Thank you, Lord. He is love, so 
as he is and he's love, that's what I am and how I am. Say it again. I'm love in this world. Is that true? So when people come in contact with you, what do they come in contact with? Which is God. They come in contact with God. Because they come in contact with the love that's shed abroad in your heart. I'm love in this world. (laughs) Keep going. There's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. This is a, a measure of how much we know him. Of how much love we're walking in. The more love we have in us, the less fear we have in us. The more fear you have in you, the less love you have in you, the less you're yielding to it. It's in you, you're just not yielding to it. And the less of God you know. The more of God you know, the more fearless you become. The more you know Him, the less you're scared of. After you've been in the presence of the Almighty, you're hard to impress. After you've experienced the greatness of the power of God's person and presence and love, other stuff just don't shake you. It don't scare you. (laughs) The devil tries to shake you with something big, something bad. Next to God, you go, whew, that's nothing. Let me show you big. God. (laughs) Now that's big. You want to see power? God. Who is? love. Fear has torment. And that's how you can tell how much fear you're in. By how tormented you are. If you're tormented and vexed, it's because of the fear. And the fear is because of not developing in love. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Keep going. If a man say I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Keep going. This commandment have we from him, that he who loves God love his wife also. (laughs) She love her husband also. Is he your brother in the Lord? Is she your sister in the Lord? And everybody else. This is a commandment that you love them. And that's not based on what they do or don't do. God loved us before we loved him. So his love for us was not based on what we did or didn't do. And it wasn't reciprocal based on how much we loved him. Because at the time we were his enemies. That's one of the most amazing things about the love of God. It's not based on what anybody does or doesn't do for you. It's independent of what they do or don't do for you. It's kind of quiet in here now. You were shouting so good just two verses ago. (laughs) Come on, say it again. I am am love in this world. world. I I live in love. Love lives in me. me. God is is love. love. 
Go to 1 Corinthians 13, please. 1 Corinthians 13. Now this great love chapter, actually let's back up to the 12th chapter, the end of the 12th chapter. This was not written in chapter and verse. It all flows together. He talks about love. In 1 Corinthians 12, he was talking about the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit of God through him. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He talks, uh, they were talking in tongues. You know, the, uh, how many understand the Corinthians were tongue talkers? Yes. Were they? And if you look at other scriptures, you can see the Ephesians were tongue talkers and the Colossians were tongue talkers. And we got reason to, to think that all of the churches that were under Paul, that he, that God used him to start, that he wrote all these letters to, were all tongue talkers. You believe it or not? It's a fact. Tongue talkers. They got started off with talking in tongues. The day of Pentecost. You remember that? Talking in tongues. And so because of that, and that was a big deal to them. Because that's how they came in. And so they had a lot of it. In fact, they, they were unruly with it. And people were talking in tongues when it wasn't time to talk in tongues. And they were talking in tongues when it wasn't the right way to go about it. And so he had to give them some instruction. Now he didn't tell them to quit talking in tongues. In fact, he told them, he said, I talk in tongues more than all of you. So Paul was definitely a tongue talker. If he talked in tongues more than this bunch, he must have got up speaking in tongues, went to bed speaking in tongues, spoke in tongues in between times. Now I know some folks don't, uh, some people don't agree with this and they are folks who don't talk in tongues. <laughs> but it is for every believer. He goes, well, I don't have the gift and not everybody has the gift. No, you don't understand it. Listen to somebody who does talk in tongues. And if you don't, don't assume you know much about it. Everybody smile real big. (laughs) No, it's for everybody. If you don't believe it and you fight it, well, you won't be bothered with it. Same thing with healing. Same thing with prosperity. Same thing with a lot of things. But if you'll receive it and open up yourself to it and take it from somebody who struggled with it for years, me. I struggled with it for years. But thank God the Lord had mercy on me. Helped me to get it straight. And now I I wouldn't take anything for the ability to speak in a tongue beyond my little limited understanding. Pray in the Spirit. Pray out mysteries, the Bible says. We have materials. Help yourself to it. Check me out. Uh, You know, prove me wrong. But don't give me your opinion. Scriptures only. (laughs) how'd we get off into that (laughs) he's talking to them about the gifts of the spirit including tongues and interpretation prophecy uh, word of wisdom word of knowledge faith working of miracles gifts of healings discerning of spirits and in this he ends up talking about them in verse 31 chapter 12 1 Corinthians 12 31 he says Covet earnestly the best gifts. Is he discouraging them from the gifts of the Spirit? Not at all. He's saying, go for it. I mean, hunger for them and covet earnestly these things. And yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. What's he about to talk about? 
love the love way. They're interested in power. And that's great. They're interested in revelation. And that's great. They're interested in faith. And that's great. Healings, miracles, that's wonderful. And he's telling them, that's good. And go for it. And yet, this you want to have in mind and let this have the preeminence when you're looking and pursuing all these other things. I know uh, I had the privilege of being on uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland's uh, Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast some years ago. And the Lord had uh, led he and I to minister about love. And the Lord had spoken to me and given me a word. And he and I got really excited about it. That the Lord, he said to me as a preacher, as a minister, he said, everything you preach on from now on, the rest of your life, always, everything you preach on, if you're preaching on faith, keep one hand on love while you preach it. If you're preaching on healing or prosperity, keep one hand on love. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but I got a picture. It locked in me. It ministered to me that I am never to emphasize anything apart from that because who is love? Whatever you're doing, if it's without love, it's also without God. And what good is a teaching and a preaching and a series without God? One hand on love, always. Listen to this. Let me read other translations. He said, a far excelling way I do show you. The NET says, a way that's beyond comparison. The Amplified says, a way that is better by far and the highest of them all. Love. A way that transcends all others. A way of life that's best of all. That's even greater. The best way of all. What is it? You know what 13 begins with. What is it? This is a marriage meeting. You got his way, her way, and what else? Love's way. You got my way, the highway, their way, and love way. You got the Democratic way, the Republican way, Northern way, Southern way, city way, country way. Poor way, rich way. What's your way? The real child of God that knows God knows love. And their way becomes his way, which is the love way, which is the most excellent way. It is the highest way. It is the way beyond comparison. Greatest way of all. Now keep reading in the 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Let me, I'm going to read this to you from the Living Bible. The Living Bible. If I have the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them, and I could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, you know, sometimes people have mocked us speaking in tongues, which is a very foolish thing. How I many of you don't want to mock the Holy Spirit? Amen. 
If you don't know, just be quiet. And you certainly don't want to attribute something that's the Holy Spirit to the devil. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that. If you don't know, just be quiet. But even if you could, if you knew what all languages sound like, and you don't. Have you ever heard some of the languages that are not known so well? They don't sound like a language if you don't speak it. I mean, they can sound like grunts and pips and squeaks. And you think, that's a language? And it is. Also, there are languages that angels speak. Well, what do they sound like? These are not human languages. These are not languages of earth. So no one is qualified to say, that's not a language. How would you know? (laughs) But if I speak with all these... In every language in all heaven and earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. Keep going. If I had the gift of prophecy, actually the gift is not in there, it just says prophecy. If I have prophecy, and knew all about what's going to happen in the future, that's revelation. Knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? I don't think most of us have taken these verses seriously enough. Even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move. Now it didn't say you thought you had faith. What did it say? You had mountain moving faith. And yet it's worth nothing at all without love. Mountain moving faith is worth nothing without love. Understanding the fulfillment of prophecy and the unfolding of the end times is worth nothing without love. Speaking in tongues is worth nothing without love. True or not? It's quiet, isn't it? Should we think about this? If I give everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel, but didn't love others, it would be of what? The most extreme giving and the greatest sacrifices a person can make without love is worth nothing. True or not? Let me read this from another translation. The... uh, The New Century Version. I may speak in different languages of people and even angels. But if I do not have love, I'm only a noisy bell or a crashing cymbal. Does anybody know what a cymbal sounds like? Beating a pot or a pan. Or is there speaking in tongues that's worth no more than banging on a pan? Is there? Apparently there is. Just a noisy bell or a crashing cymbal. Keep going. I may have the gift of prophecy. I may understand all the secret things of God and have all knowledge. Is that worth anything? (laughs) Is revelation worth anything? Who? Revelation? Understanding the secret things of God? Knowledge of the Word? 
It is only with love. Without love, it's not. It's not worth anything. How about faith? No, we're faith people. Aren't we? We're a faith punch. Surely there's no way you could have mountain moving faith and that not be worth anything. (laughs) Actually, there is. Without love, it's nothing. Keep going. I may give away everything I have. Give away, write checks for a million dollars to the ministry. Give five million dollars to the poor to feed people. Build whole housing divisions for homeless folks. (laughs) Is it possible to do all that and it profits you nothing? You personally not gain one thing from it. Why? One translation says, if you do it to boast about it. In other words, some other motive besides love. Regardless of what we're doing, it's not only doing it that's the issue, it's how we do it and from what motive of heart determines whether it's worth anything or nothing in the Lord's sight. There's only one right way to do it in God's eyes. What is it? The love way. What is true spirituality? What is true godliness? It's not just praying in tongues. It's not just quoting scriptures. It's not just having faith and making confessions. It's not just giving big offerings or making big sacrifices. It's not just that. It's love. Isn't it? It's love. Somebody say glory to God. Now, you know I didn't write that, right? This has been here a long time, hasn't it? I don't know if we paid close enough attention to it. But we are right now, aren't we? Anybody focusing on this now? I believe this is part of our assignment tonight. We're supposed to look at this real close and strong and see what's important and what's not. 1 Peter 4.8. You don't have to turn there. They'll put it up on the screen for us. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all Things Is that true or not? Above all things. Above all things have fervent love among yourselves, for love will cover the multitude of sins. Say it out loud. Above all things. The Living Bible says, most important of all. Is that true? If you read through 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, and then he says, love suffers long and is kind. Etc., etc., giving you the characteristics and qualities of love, which is also the personality and character of God, who is love. That's who He is. Is God kind and patient? See, all those things you're talking about, that's God. That's who He is. That's who He is. And it gets to the end and said, Now abides these three things faith, hope, and love, but what? The greatest of these is love. What's more important? 
Faith or love? Love. Love. Why? Because you can have faith that moves mountains. And if you don't have love, you're nothing. What's more important? Revelation of the word or love? Love. Because you can have all knowledge and all understanding. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. True or not? What's more important? Speaking in tongues? Prophesying? Praying? A lot of times when people are praying, they're speaking in tongues and also pray by the spirit of prophecy. Which is more important? Prayer or love? Love. 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 How many folks were... Don't raise any hands now. But reckon how many folks were cold and hard and unloving to people so they could go pray. (laughs) Cold and unloving to somebody because they were in the Word. They're studying. They're getting revelation. (laughs) Cold and uncaring, insensitive to people because they're busy doing great things for God. (laughs) Giving, helping people. I've been with preachers. I'm not calling any names. And I'm not saying I hadn't made any mistakes ever. But I've been with preachers who are downright mean to people on their way to minister to people. (laughs) Just treat people rude. Because they've got to go minister to people. But what are these? And you can talk in tongues all day and night. And if you miss this, it's not worth anything. You can quote scriptures. You can make confessions. And if you miss this, you gain nothing. This is more important than everything else. This is the greatest of all. It's not just doing it. It's not just telling people the truth. It's speaking the truth in love. That's how you grow up. Let me give you some more. 1 Corinthians 16.14. 16.14 says, Let all your things be done with love. How many things? All, all your things. Let all your things be done with love. Most important of all, above all things, do what you do with fervent love. Above all things. Above all things. More important than doctrine. More important than praying. More important than giving. More important than faith and confessions. Is it scripture or not? More important is love. I know a minister some years ago, older minister, they came up in a different time, different climate. They weren't as strong on healing and faith as some of us are nowadays, but outstanding people. I mean, flowed in the gifts of the Spirit beyond many. And his wife got sick and didn't get better and didn't get better and died. Went home to be with the Lord early. And I saw him some months later. He's in a restaurant. 
I came by and spoke to him. And he said, you got a minute, Brother Keith? I said, sure, sure. I sat down with him. And we talked about a few things. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, uh, he said, you know, some young ministers came to see me. And they were people of our persuasion that believed in faith and healing and miracles. And he said, they, they told me if, if my wife had enough faith, she wouldn't have died. He said, uh, that didn't help me, Brother Keith. I said, I know it didn't. I'm sorry. I said, I know that you... Because see, a lot of times people are thinking, I know she had faith in God. No doubt. But that don't mean you got faith in healing. Or any number of things. But you, until you've been in a situation and overcome it yourself... Ain't no need you talking big about what you would do. I don't care how much you know about faith and healing. You can get to the point where you're just tired of dealing with it. And you just want to quit and go home. And you can. And nobody else should judge you about it if you do. Because unless and until you've been there. But even if the scriptures they were quoting was correct and right, what's the problem here? The Lord told me one time years ago about some things. He said, son, Keith, it's not just what you know. It's not what you see. It's not what people need. It's what will they receive? Where are they? What will benefit them? There are some things that people just find intimidating and they find confusing. And that doesn't help you. Remember what the scripture said? Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies or builds up. Though you you may know all the scriptures on healing and miracles and you may have faith that is mountain moving faith but if you just wade in and lay down the law of the word and you're hard with it and it helps no one it was worth nothing. In fact they'd have been better off not seeing you that day. Wouldn't they? That man, that elder he'd have been better off not meeting those preachers that day. Wouldn't he? His heart's hurting. He misses her. Well, sin is sin. <laughs> There's a young man I was watching the other night on a documentary. They were talking about same-sex marriage. They were talking about homosexuality. And where this young man lived, he's scared for his life. Because they are so anti-gay, anti-homosexual that he's scared to go out on the street. And he said, listen to what this young man said. He said, I believe in God. He said, I have prayed and asked God to help me. And I just don't know what to do. And yet the people that were talking about him were talking about him like he's a dog. Now I don't believe that the word teaches that young people are supposed to have relations without being married. Or that married people are supposed to have affairs. Or that women and women are men and men. Or adults and children. Come on are you listening? There's a whole host of things. That I don't believe is the word and right. But 
You're not going to win people or help them by coming down like a ton of bricks and hollering about sin and hollering about judgment and quoting scriptures because a whole lot of folks, they don't want to hear it. And they know you don't care anything about them. You don't even value them or see them as a person. The Bible said the common people heard Jesus gladly, didn't they? And you know who came to Jesus' meetings? Beggars off the street, tax collectors that were as crooked (laughs) as they come, prostitutes. Come on, are you listening to me? Roman soldiers that were murderers. And how many understand? Somebody said, Jesus preached love and acceptance. No, not really. He preached the kingdom of God and repentance. Not the same thing as acceptance. He didn't tell people their sin was okay. He told the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. So he didn't tell her she was okay in what she had done. It was sin. And he called sin, sin. But you know what he did tell her? Neither do I condemn you. Come on, somebody say, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. People, so many times, they know things are not right. They're not happy with the situation either. But they... For whatever reason, they don't see how to get out of it. They don't see anything possible to make any difference or make any change. And you and I are never going to have all the answers or know everything about this. But I tell you what is more powerful than anything is the love of God that's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And there will be times in your life you can look at people and they can talk to you in desperation. You can say, you know, man... Girl, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But I know this. God cares about you. Amen. He loves you. Yeah. You're precious. He may not be pleased with everything you've done or everything I've done. But He loves you. Yeah. He loves you. Yeah. He cares about you. Yes, Genuinely. Yeah. I tell you what. These folks that you know show up at people's funerals. And tell them that their soldiers and children and sons and daughters are dead because God judged them because this or that. They don't know God. I know that's a strong word, but I'm saying it boldly. They don't know Him. They don't know Him. And you see people that don't know God, all they talk about is sin and judgment. And these things are real. But the gospel is good news. Somebody say good news. Good news. Good news. What's the good news? Good news. Good news. God put all your sins, I mean all, A-L-L, your sins, on Jesus. He's already paid the price for them. God's not holding them against you. All you got to do is come to him and receive him and you'll be cleansed, hallelujah, and made righteous and holy and a child of God. That's good news. I said, that's good news. What if they said, I don't believe that. I don't want none of that Jesus. Well, we got some bad news for him. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. And there is just, but give them the good news first because then if they receive it, we got no bad news for them. <laughs> What's the most important of all, friends? Love's not going to tell you you're right when you're wrong. Love's not going to tell you your sin's okay. Love's not going to tell you you're right when you're believing something contrary to the Bible. 
But you don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be judgmental about it. Do you? You don't. And we want to show some humility. Which is just reality. That we don't know everything. We don't know everything. You can know this. You can know it boldly. God. Is. Love. And he loves you. Hallelujah. And he loves. No matter what. He loves you. And he loves me. Can you say amen? Say it out loud. I'm not against people. I'm for people. Hallelujah. I'm not against anybody. I'm against the devil. Oh yeah, I am. I am against him. I'll have to say that. He's going to get his. And I'm not even going to cry. I'm not going to shed a tear when he gets his. (laughs) Phyllis, you want to come up? Help me out here. Every question about marriage is answered by comparing it to Christ and the church. Ephesians talks about this. Other places talk about it. And uh, when you're talking about structure, that is the answer. What should a husband do in this situation? Tell me, help me out with it. How does Christ deal with the church? Then uh, what does how what should a wife do with her husband in this situation? What does the church do, or should do with the uh, head of the church? Anything that could come up, any kind of structure question, any kind of action and response question, every one of them is answered by Christ in the church. But when it comes to how you do it, do you, could you understand? There's only one law, and that is the law. Of love. Right? And so there's a lot of questions that people have. We This is our 10th marriage meeting. And uh, just about every one of them we've taken questions. And Phyllis and I did meetings like this before we had churches. So you see some of the same questions coming up over and over again. And if you just get these two things. Christ and the church, what's the other one? Love. Then you know what to do and you know how to do it. Can you see this, saints? Life is too complex. And there's no two uh, people just alike and there's no two couples just alike. And there's no two marriages just alike. And if anybody ever comes out with a thousand volume set... On what to do in marriage in every situation. Save your money. Don't buy it. Because <laughs> if that would do it. You wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't need to be led. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to. By faith walk in love about it. But there are these basic principles. That are true with everybody. In every situation. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. And we'll begin to deal with some of this. I should have said second. Second Corinthians. And Phyllis, uh, anything comes up on your heart, please just jump in here anytime. Second Corinthians 6.14 says, 
6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? What conquered has Christ with Belial? Or he that believes with an infidel? Unequally yoked is what we don't want to be. And some of the questions that we've gotten in times past and also during this week have been about difference in vision, difference in what we believe we're called to do, difference in do we tithe, do we not tithe, where do we tithe, where do we give, husbands and wives at odds with each other, not in agreement. And so the picture is like two uh, uh, draft animals, like oxen or uh, horses that pull in a yoke. And if the oxen or the horses, if they don't pull, push against the yoke at the same time, they can't move a big load. And if one of them's pushing and then they back off, then certain, I mean, one, small loads they might be able to move, but a big enough load, they will not be able to move it. And you know the Bible said in First Peter that if your husbands and wives not treating each other right, your prayers will be hindered. And one of the things that Phyllis and I were talking about earlier today concerning these things and answering to it. What's the answer to any structure question? Help me out. Christ and the church. And how do you do everything? In love. That's the answer to every one of them. But you know, if you don't feed on the same things, you're not going to be thinking the same thing. And, and we've noticed that you got this one, husband and wife, you got one of them listening to these teachings, and you got the other one listening to something else. And if one of them feeding on this, one of them feeding on that, you do that and you're going to wind up with different perceptions and different priorities. You need to eat together. You know what I'm talking about? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You need to eat together. If you sit down at the same table and you both eat from the same table, then if there's taters on the table... When you get through eating, both of you will have taters in you. Because you're eating at the same table. Is that right? (laughs) Watch about different visions and feeding from different channels and different places. I know uh, when I was first uh, teaching and preparing to teach at Ramah, I wanted to be thorough because I'm teaching courses to ministers. So I got in the library. I got up to my eyeballs in uh, theology. And I'm studying this and I'm studying that and I'm studying the other. And after a while, I'm beginning to realize this one doesn't agree with this one. And this one doesn't agree with that one. But people think in order to be well-versed and well-read, you need a plethora of opinions and what about being single minded single vision how do you accomplish that with all that and finally the Lord dealt with me this is what he spoke to my heart he said Keith 
There are many good ministries, ministers, churches, and schools throughout the earth that are doing a good work for me. Many. I could have sent you to any one of them. I sent you here. Get this. And I got it. I quit looking at all that other and I focused in on that because I could begin to see this is a divine plan. Hallelujah. And I know Phyllis and I, we read our chapters together. We preach to each other. We're in the same services all the time. But you do more preaching than me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's something else I was going to add is um, it's not just about um, the word and what you're feeding on. If you feed on other things than the word. Yeah. If you're constantly reading romance novels or watching soap operas. And they're not. And they're not. Or, or even watching violent TV shows. Or watching, you know, things that affect your spirit. You know, there are spirits that are behind those things that motivate those things. And if you're constantly watching those things, those spirits are going to be motivating what you do. You can't sit there and watch some major action show and not be wired for sound, (laughs) you know. And it has something to do with what's going on in you, you know. Where's your peace level after something like that, you know, where if you were sitting there reading the Word or something. I'm not saying you can't ever see something like that, but, you know, it's feed together type thing is what, you know. There's something to those things, you know. And you can't constantly be feeding on that and be having peace, you know. You can't constantly be reading romance novels about uh, stud guys and, you know, Go in fairy tale land 98% of the day, and then your husband walked through the door, and he's real. <laughs> and he wants his supper on the table. <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't work that way, you know? It's like soap opera land that they've changed husbands to every person on the show. Yeah. I was counseling a young couple some years ago, and... and uh, there was a point where the young lady spoke up and said, well, he, he doesn't treat me like so-and-so treats so-and-so. And I said, uh, who is that? And the young man looked at me and he said, it's a guy on a show, Brother Keith. <laughs> and, you know, there's a reason they call them movies. Right? And shows, they're not real. I mean, how many know what they're doing on these shows? They are... Acting. And so then when the director says cut, they go back to their trailer and they're on their fifth relationship or their ninth. This is not real. But what Phyllis was talking about, you know, if you immerse yourself in things that are not real, if you feed on falseness, you can become deceived and you're looking, you're comparing something real with something that is not real. And I know that's a foolish thing to do. And a lot of times people lose something that's very precious, real, and only later do they realize I was such a fool looking for a fantasy. You know, if you could find the most perfect spouse in all the world, would you then stop looking at anybody else? 
See, these folks that are always looking and thinking the grass is greener on the other side. The Bible warns about the strange woman. Doesn't it? Proverbs. What's a strange woman or a strange man? It's a new one. How many understand new can't be new forever? And what's going to happen when they're no longer new? Then I guess you'll be looking for another new one. And that's an impossible thing because they can't always be new. Now, there is a way that you can have newness. If both of you grow and develop in God, then there are some new things about you. Just like a tree or something puts on new growth. Those little green buds that are there, they're new. They weren't there last year. And you and I can have that. We can have newness in our relationship. But uh, don't chase fantasies. Hallelujah. You have something more to say about that? Or? Nope. You want to preach? Or no. Do a Jericho march? Or? No. <laughs> People have questions about divorce and remarriage. And uh, the scripture deals with these things. And some folks have said, well, you know, if you're ever married to somebody, then they're always your spouse. But Jesus, you know, talked to that woman at the well of Samaria. You remember that? And, and he said, go call your husband. Remember what she said? I don't have a husband. Remember what he said? He said, you're right. You have well said. You are right. You don't have a husband because you have had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. Now, there's a lot of revelation in it. So the first guy she married, according to Jesus, was what? Not her husband, nor number two, three, four, or five. And just because you're living with somebody doesn't make them your spouse either. If you're not willing to make a commitment in front of people, then it's questionable that the commitment is there. People say, we're married in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what would be your hesitation? Of affirming your commitment to each other in front of family and friends. So if you're not willing to affirm it publicly, it's questionable that it is there. That the commitment is there. And there's been a lot of mistakes made. And people have said, well, what about affairs? Well, obviously, that's not the will of God. Do you have to stay with somebody that's having affairs on you? Well, you're not required to. But nor does it say you have to leave them either. What if somebody's beating you? Well, let's go back to this. Christ in the church and what? Love. Letting somebody beat you up physically and hurt you, how's that loving them? Is that helping them? Well, then no. There's, you don't have to let somebody beat you up or, or beat on the kids. But nor do you have to just say, no, I'm done with you. We know some situations where people had some, you know, he hit her and she hit him. But they got it fixed and, and they overcame it and they got a good strong relationship today. And so you don't just say immediately, well, you did this, so that's it. We're over. What would love do? Christ in the church. Feelings. Nothing more. 
You got something else before I, I say this? Put up a scripture on the screen for us. You got a scripture? I got a feeling. You got a feeling. <laughs> Nothing more. But you're not hooked on it. Not hooked on it. <laughs> Woo. What generation are we from? Exactly. 70s. I did marry you in bell bottoms. Sure did. Sure did. I had those platform shoes and <laughs> long hair. And a yellow suit. We oh, were styling, brother. Yes, we were. <laughs> Put up uh, Mark eight thirty-five on the screen for us. When it comes to love, love was willing to sacrifice for us. And Mark 8.35 says, Jesus said, and you'll find this phrase some half dozen times in the New Testament. You find it in Matthew more than once. You find it in Mark and Luke and John. And he said in Mark 8.35, he said, whosoever will save his life, what will happen? You'll lose it. We talked about this a little bit Monday. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, what will happen? The same will save it. If you are focused on what you need and what you want in the relationship, then you will come to an impasse. And if somebody's not giving you what you want or what you need, you're going to get to the place where you're going to look for it somewhere else. And people say, well, I have needs. And we understand that. But spiritual people are willing to die to that and give it up, lose it to do what the Lord would ask them to do. And for the plan's sake and the gospel's sake. Phyllis and I, we've talked about, we had challenges, severe challenges, different parts of our married life. We've been married 36 years now. We dated for four years before that. So that's 40 years we've basically been together. And uh, I know she and I, there were times where We're at an impasse. But, you know, we've been in the ministry now for 30 some of those years. So we had trouble maritally after we got in the ministry and some severe. You don't have to. It's not the Lord's fault. But basically has to do with immaturity and flesh, selfishness, not walking in love. And she and I both at different times, we talk about it later, sometimes years later, but during those hard times, both of us were seeking God and praying, and I could see your faces and our partners and our our churches, then 
later. And there are times when the Lord will say, will you do it for me? Will you let that go and forget about yourself? Forget about what you need. Forget about what you want. Would you do it for me? Because we knew if we separated, if we divorced, it hurt our people. It would hurt our partners. Sometimes young ones get disillusioned with God and quit going to church. Doesn't mean just because if we let you down, that doesn't mean God let you down. But how many know some people are not mature enough to get that? So they quit going to church. And then a lot of folks, they think, well, if they couldn't make it, no chance of me making it. And so they just quit. Quit trying. Give up. Divorce. Did you know, saints, sometimes the reason things are so challenging and tough is because there's a lot more going on than just you. And your victory will be other people's victory. Your victory will be inspiration. Can you say thank you, Lord? Do you believe it, saints? And I know at different times that she, between her and the Lord, and me, between me and the Lord, we'd say to him, yes, Lord, we'll do what you say. And just making it another day, making another week, and then another month. And if you just won't give up, the Lord will give you light. And sometimes you look back and just shake your head about how stupid you were. The devil didn't even have to get into it. Y'all were attacking each other. You know, he, he just stood by the side and laughed at what fools we were. But if you won't quit, if you just take another step forward and just, I had the, the Lord some years ago, there was a, a situation that was turning into strife with some ministers. And I felt like I was in the right. Totally. And I couldn't see where they were coming from. They were making a big deal out of this. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, I want you to sit down and write a letter to them and apologize. I thought, what? I thought I did what you told me to do. Apologize? I thought, what am I going to apologize for? I thought you told me, I thought you directed me to do that. I thought I was doing, and with some other folks that you dealt with me to do, they they said the Lord dealt with them to do that, and what am I going to apologize for? And he spoke to my heart. He said, well, do you suppose you could not have done it with any greater wisdom or any greater love or grace? I thought, no. I'm sure I could have done it wiser, better, and he said, well, apologize for not doing it with greater grace and wisdom. And I was still kind of, <laughs> kind of thinking, ah, how in the world? And he said to me, he said, I don't mean he didn't say this to me. I just saw this. I realized if I take sides here, some other folks over here are going to take sides. And this thing's going to turn into a rift. And it's going to get bigger and it's going to get uglier. And the Lord's trying to stop it from ever. Did the Bible say stop strife before it ever gets started? Like a dam breaking out, you know, water breaking out of the dam. Proverbs says before it ever gets started, stop it. And I saw that. He, and the Lord said this to me. He said, will you do it for me? Oh, 
It's over. Anybody know what? Will you do it for me? What did he do for me? What did he do for you? Was he willing to lose his life? Was he willing to lay it down for us? Should we be willing to lay down some things? What we think we need. What we want. Our desires. Our dreams. Should we be willing to? Hallelujah. What will happen? If you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it for my sake in the Gospels, you'll save it. Hallelujah. Somebody say thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Why don't you stand up on your feet, stretch your legs just for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Anything else you want to say? Just one thing. Do you know why it just got in my heart real strong? Why love is the answer? Have you ever had two people interpret the exact same scripture a totally different way? And somebody maybe even misuse a scripture for their benefit? Have you ever seen that happen? Hmm. Or even maybe like me as a wife command somebody that Keith that he was supposed to do something or the husband command to the wife that they were supposed to do something love is the thing that saves every bit of that from going awry you can't misuse the word in any situation if you always do what Keith said keep one hand on love there's no scripture in the Bible that would ever hurt another person That's right. if you keep one hand on love. Mm-hmm. You can't be mean to another person if you keep your heart wanting to love them. Mm-hmm. You can never say anything mean to them with a scripture if your heart is always love. You could never quote it to them and say, well, the Bible says you're supposed to. Because where is the love in the Bible says you're supposed to? Because you can be legally right about something and still be wrong if you're not doing it in love. And it profits nothing. And it profits nothing. Mm -hmm. Because our very first and mainly and only commandment is love. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how wrong the other person is. If you don't do it in love, you're the one in the wrong. You wind up being the one that is wrong. So no matter how much of the scripture you quote to them or or how much you tell them they're doing wrong because they're not doing what the Bible says, you wind up being the one that's actually doing the wrong because you're not showing love. Love is the thing that protects you in everything that you do. Mm It's the guide in everything that we say. It's the guide in every direction that we move. When you start to say something, you should immediately think, are they going to be able to receive this in love? Am I saying this from my heart because I care about them? Am I saying it because I want to benefit them? Mm -hmm. Am I saying it because I want better for them? Or am I just saying it because I want the result to better me? Yeah. 
And if you always think about things that you're going to say or things that you're going to do in that fashion, then you will never, ever have a problem with the other person because then it gives God an action to be able to work and protect those words as they're going to that person. Because if you're not saying it in love, immediately when those words start out, you give the devil access on the way with those words to be able to start driving in and being mean and and doing what he wants to do with them. But when the words of love come out of your mouth, you've given God an access, a door to just take those words, no matter if they were said right or the communication was right or whatever it was. But if your heart is right, when you say them, you've opened the door for God to be able to go in there and work and do what he wants to do with them. Then, mm-hmm. Yes. Thank and you it Lord. protects every marriage. Then it protects everything that God wants to do. Thank the you. devil can't even get in. When your heart's right and you say it the right way. Hallelujah. Thank you. Put up on the screen, please, Romans 13.10. Phyllis was talking. I thought about that verse. It's in the uh, New Living. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Galatians talks about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's If it's going to cost somebody. Let it cost me. If somebody's going to have to pay something on this. Or come up without on this. Let it be me not you. Is that the law of Christ? Is that what he did? And. Love will not. Knowingly intentionally do wrong. And when you find out it's hurting them. Love's going to stop. And love's going to say, let it cost me, but not you. Is that what Jesus did? That's what he did. So it is, it fulfills all the requirements of the law and what God has required us to do. Why don't you close your eyes and just lift your hands. Let's present ourselves before the Lord right now. Don't look around for a moment. Let's. Let's present ourselves before Him. Put your hand on your midsection. The Bible said the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Say it out loud, I believe the love. That God loves me with. I receive the love. He loves me with. That love is in me. Shed abroad in my heart. By the Holy Spirit. I choose. To live in that love. Dwell in that love. Speak that love. Hear in that love. Think in that love. Respond in that love. Live in this love. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge 
by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.